curiosity is not something that I usually hear people talk about. And whenever I said to people, curiosity is one of my values, people are like, what do you mean by that? So I'd love to hear your thoughts on how did that spirit of curiosity get you to where you are today? Almost a little difficult to be creative in this day and age. I think we have so much information, it becomes so overwhelming. And especially with AI, right? It knows who you are with the recommendation engines, it knows what you like. And so I think people very often stray to what is popular with mass market, or they stay kind of in their lane of what they've looked at before. And I think that curiosity just continues to ask and allows you to peel different layers of the onion versus just peeling one and saying like, this makes sense, I'm just gonna build this. It's like, okay, but why? Hello, I'm Somi Aryan. I'm a tech philosopher and the founder of Impeak. In this episode, I speak with Jay Estefany Castillo, co-founder of MXP, a New York-based venture capital firm currently deploying a $50 million fund investing in the future of B2B cloud. She also helped launch and head strategy and operations at Ginger, a fintech startup incubated out of the fund. Jay is one of my favorite people to talk to in the world of startups and capital. She's full of passion for the startup scene and super knowledgeable. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Hi, Jay. Thank you for being here. Uh, I've become a big fan of yours. I was I was looking at your uh, LinkedIn and you've been on our platform. You, you gave a talk. So, Jay, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, your background? Yeah. So I think um, what I tell people when I try to make sense of my career story is that I really love to learn, but I also like to say, like, put me on Mars and I'll figure out what to do. I think I've always been interested in the frontier of new industries, but also understanding how legacy industries are evolving. So I went to school. I thought that I wanted to be an attorney and save the world and help people. Uh, I started at a law firm for a few months and realized it just wasn't for me. I had the opportunity to be hired by Bridgewater, and it was a really amazing time. Uh, I think there's a few things that Bridgewater taught me. I tell everyone it's my MBA, but ultimately what they were doing is that they were at the forefront of being able to kind of systematize the way investment managers looked at investing and diversifying portfolios. The other thing that they did really interestingly is they found out ways to systematize people management. So they had a whole OS system and there was multiple data points that you and your peers would consistently give you. And in theory, the assumption was that that platform would then be an aggregate or almost an accurate aggregate of who you were as a person. So you knew the things that you were bad at, you knew the things that you were good at and the things that you needed to work on. And that also was interesting from a hiring perspective as well. Was there for a few years, found myself at WeWork and this is pre SoftBank IPO investment. And so it was still very much a startup, all hands on deck. And ultimately, you know, I saw the company scale from zero to 10. So we started very, very small and then scaled up very quickly. So I was able to see the rapid evolution of a startup from the beginning to the end, or not the end, but to, to expansion. So I there I worked uh, with the finance department and finance leaders. I kind of moved to helping manage the mid-Atlantic market. I then helped uh, manage the North America and Israel operations. 
and then found myself in global real estate strategy. Um, I unfortunately was part of the layoffs there at WeWork and then found myself in a family office um, that managed a lot of different uh, large scale commercial properties. And then very luckily had found um, Mark Ramesian, who uh, you know is the general partner of MXB uh, Capital, which is the fund that I helped start. And, and we kind of went from zero to one, You know, really learned how to launch a fund, fundraise money, do investment summaries, figure out how to do due diligence. It was almost a startup learning process for us as well. And it, it's great because not having come Traditionally, from that background, we really learned how to do it in a really new, fresh and different ways. And we're able to talk to a lot of VCs and take best practices and figure out what worked for us. Um, during my time there, uh, we, you know, Mark really wanted to kind of start incubating companies out of the fund. We incubated Ginger. It was myself, Mark, and a few other founding team members. Um, and just kind of for reference, Ginger is a short-term loans for small businesses. Um, so, you know, we do immediate underwriting. We're able to assess the amount that we can loan out to that company and they have the option to pay over time. The thesis there is that when you fundraise money, that money should be spent towards building product, hiring your team versus the day-to-day -day operations, software, and things of that nature. So that's kind of what um, we did and what then that worked for us. And uh, since then, I was not part of this company, but we've also incubated another company called Tilde, and they do lifecycle marketing uh, for social. So imagine a world where WhatsApp, um, Instagram, things of that, and SMS, and you can create journey builders and conversations with your customers. Super interesting. So, so you've got your fingers in a lot of pies, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> well, so right. <laughs> yeah, of all these different things, uh, what what's your what's been your favorite um activity or or you know of all the different things that you've done, what was the the, the thing that you found most uh, rewarding? I think they were all rewarding. I know that's uh, that's such a cliche answer, but I think that each part of my or every part of my career journey um was really important to kind of come to where I am today. You know, I think at Bridgewater, I learned how to systematically think and think about machines and processes and people and how they kind of all work together and where breaks happened and really dissect and understand problems. I think during WeWork, I really understood how to run wide operations and how to scale incredibly quickly uh, and, and understand the nuances of each and every different market. As you can imagine, trying to manage North America and Israel. There's so many different nuances with how markets, you know, what they need, what they don't. Um, so that was really interesting. I think during my time at the family office, it was very much understanding a very wide set of industries and how do you set an investment strategy that's applicable to many different um, sectors. In MXV, it was the ability to fundraise and really have an understanding of the things that are going on in the market, keeping up with market trends. And Ginger, it was learning how to build a startup. Um, and I think that that's really important for people going through their career journey. I think people often don't align to the goal of my time here. Yes, it may feel really repetitive, but what am I learning? What Who are the connections that I'm making? 
and and really being intentional about that in every step of your career i think is 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 great so 100% so how much did you raise for your fund yeah so we raised 52.4 million for our fund one awesome and you are on your your first fund still right yes Awesome. Yes, that must have been very um, exciting. So can you tell me a little bit about that journey as an emerging fund manager? I suppose uh, that's the term, right? Uh, we would You would still be emerging technically because <laughs> it's your first <laughs> one. So um, yeah, so can you tell me a little bit about that journey? Um, so when you went to your LPs, what did you what did you tell them? Like, you know, how um, uh, how did you stand out? I think a huge part of it had to do with also Mark, who I work with, and he was also a previous founder who took a company from ideation to IPO and myself also as an experienced founder. And I think more often than not, there's a perception in the market that VCs are individuals who solely invest um, and are kind of stuck in their own way of thinking and are out of touch with the market. And I think the pitch here was, you know, as a team, we've founded and we've operated at wide scale and at small scale. And so when you think about anything that would be applicable to largely helping our founders, um, that's incredibly important. And I think right now the fund is positioned as a fund that's focused on bringing an operator and founder perspective to the cap table. And I think the really beautiful thing about our business model now is that we have two companies that we run. So we're not out of touch with the market. We're understanding kind of all the different operational trends that are going on. We talk to startups because they're our customers for the startups as well. And so there's really a network play that exists there. But I think there's also a there's almost like alignment with what we're doing. When we talk to our founders, we're not talking to our founders in like a insulated VC world. We're saying we are in the market too. We understand how difficult right now it is to, for example, sell B2B enterprise software because there's there's so many that how do you differentiate yourself, right? We understand when, um, you know, when First Republic and, and, and Silicon Valley Bank, when all that happened, we were like, okay, we understand what that means for these businesses like there's again there there we're dealing with a lot of the market repercussions that i think everyone else is and that allows us to not only spot really amazing ideas but again helping our founders through the things that we're going through ourselves mm -hmm. and how do people find you how's your process of like finding your startups is it mostly inbound or um is it like you go and scout how does that work I think a lot of it is just building trust. I think that's what most VCs are doing. Every VC obviously gives money. And ultimately, the thing that you have in addition to your money is your network, but also your know-how and, and how you kind of lean in and support those founders. And so we've gotten quite a bit of deal flow from our own portfolio founders. They see how we support them. They see how we really listen to them and help them navigate all the nuances that go along with the entrepreneurial journey. And because of that, they really love how we work with them. And they say, hey, I, I met a founder. They're amazing. We would love for them to talk to you. And I think that founder that they do introduce to us is a lot more prone to wanting to work with us, given that it was through a founder referral. I think also we really do have a strong network in both operators in the tech space as well as VCs. And a lot of the really strong introductions have come from introductions from VCs 
and operators. And I think it's a little hard because there is so much innovation that's happening right now. I think capital, it's difficult for some companies to raise, but when you look at kind of historically the ability to run a startup, right? You now have companies that have entrepreneurs and residents, you know, you have accelerators, you have more VCs than ever before. And you see a lot of things. And I think ultimately what we're really looking for is do people that we trust vouch for the people that they bring to us? And I think building a network of trust um, is really important. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's important uh, even like, um, you know, we were talking earlier about our new business model and what we are going to do with startups. And I was talking to um, a VC today and I was thinking, uh, you know, uh, brainstorming this and I'm going to ask your opinion as well. Um, you know, one of the new um, things that we are going to do is actually help these startups that come into our platform raise money. But what I was thinking was like, let's say if we raise money for, let's say if we raise a hundred thousand dollars or or a million dollars for a startup we take five percent of that but out of that five percent we put two two and a half percent of it back into the company so we invest back into the company that that so out of that five percent we so that way we we can show that we actually have that trust or that level of you know what i mean that we have skin in the game that we are not going to just take the five percent and say okay this is our money so if i if i raise a million for somebody I make fifty thousand out of that fifty thousand. I take twenty five thousand of it and invest it back into that company on their Impeak, so that this way Impeak suddenly, all of a sudden, in in two years' time, you know, we could be in, uh, invested in a hundred companies or in two hundred companies, however many companies that we raise money for. Uh, and I think that in this day and age, building that level of trust and showing people that you you know that it's not it's not just about taking that you also actually want to um, this way it shows both to the VC and to the company that you are raising money for that you are actually um, part of their journey and and as they grow you want to grow with them and I think this this is a spirit of community and and, and you know B2B community that was never there before and uh, or maybe maybe there was but it's more important than ever before I think really our generation really cares about that um have you noticed that as well like in terms of the newer generations of uh, VCs that are coming uh, coming to surface I think um they're really like they're, they're not faceless they like to be uh, on social media they like to have a presence they're like rock stars you know and I think with with things like uh, the all in podcast you know the, the guys that are behind it and and, and you know how, how they've really changed the the image of um uh, of the money man basically but yeah would love to hear your thoughts on on that kind of spirit of community that's kind of growing in the in this space yeah i'm i'm excited going to the point that you were talking about like this newer generation i think there's now more an emphasis on value creation and really providing value in whatever it is that you're doing, but also being values-based. And I think a lot of the newer VCs are coming in hot with kind of not only their thesis, but the way that they interact with their founders and the types of founders that they invest in. And I personally am really interested in that because when you think about not only investing in companies that are building value, but also building and providing value for them, I think you start 
becoming and fostering a lot more of a healthy ecosystem. I met someone, a VC, earlier this year in LA, and um, her name is Erica Wagner, and she is the general partner of Park Ranger Capital. And she told me, and it, it really does stick to me to this day, the one thing that she says is, it's our job as VCs to be stewards of the forest, right? We are the park rangers. It's responsible for us to make sure that the plants are growing, the right plants are growing. If there's bad plants, like making sure that, you know, it's time to do so. And I think the healthier ecosystem that we have, the more and, and possibility there is to thrive. In terms of VCs with a platform, though I do think it is important, um, I, I think there's, you know, aside from VCs, there's people that, that talk a lot and, 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 and have a lot of know-how, but ultimately at the end of the day, in my opinion, really the mark of a good VC is like, how much time do you spend with your portfolio company or really helping them with whatever it is that, that they need in that moment. Right. And that varies based off of stage, but some of the most impressive VCs that I've personally come across are ones that are always actively looking for opportunities to help their portfolio company. They'll be at networking events, not saying, oh, you know, this is how I think about the market or, oh, like let's exchange deal flow. It's, hey, like what are, what is your portfolio struggling with? And kind of in the back of their heads, figuring out whether or not any of their portfolio companies could potentially be a solution for, for the others. Right. And I think having the founder top of mind, whenever you're, you know, going through engagements or helping them out or um, just, just making the, the journey a lot easier for founders. Cause I think VCs, we see entrepreneurs going through very similar problems and going through, you know, finding the right vendor, understanding how to structure their sales team. And all these founders have to almost rediscover it on their own every single time. And if so, VCs can be the conduit of this is how you do it, or this is how it's been done. Or instead of trying to figure out the whole playbook by your yourself here's things that have made sense for others let me at least give you a baseline to work off of um that's i think in my opinion one of the most valuable things we can do i i 100 agree i i think that that's why you know as you know we we talked about it earlier we have sort of pivoted from web3 uh, but the thing that i liked about web3 was the community aspect and i and as as we were pivoting because our platform is fundamentally as a community platform um, I was thinking about what what other niche can we really kind of place ourselves in that that would work really well, and that's where I thought the startups and VCs community is somewhere that we would do really well because it, it, the, the one of the beauties of this industry is that technically you are not really in competition with other VCs you're you're complementing each other because ultimately it, you know if um, if another VC, okay, maybe at one point in time, you are in competition in, in like in, in a specific kind of uh, deal, but in the long term, you could be complementing each other because you, you would be able to, uh, you want, you want other VCs to want to in, uh, invest in your company and you want their um, uh, companies to do business with your company because it just um, grows the pie for everybody. Right. So on that note, if you were like, to compare the newer generation of VCs coming, uh, uh, you know, emerging fund fund managers, uh, as as you will, you know, um, how how do they differ uh, in terms of their uh, their approach, the the way that they they think about things, 
is or is there a difference? Let's say like the millennial VCs as opposed to um, the Gen Xers or, or baby boomers. Yeah, I think it depends on the VC. It's hard to make overarching observations, but I, I think that some of the emerging managers that I know are looking, they're looking at the market in a few different ways. I think there's some of them that are bringing their diverse background to the way and the type of founders and the type of companies that they look for. Um, I think recently I've met some international VCs that are here in the U.S. and they're thinking about problems that are happening in emerging markets, right? And so they're almost bringing like third world problems here to the U.S. and either saying this can be applicable in the United States for X reason, or there's this really, really big problem that's happening maybe remotely. And I think that it needs to be solved. And then they can proactively look for founders either in international markets or locally that, that can provide a solution for them. I think what you're seeing, um, I think YC starting to catch on is that they're building solutions that exist in the U.S. Um, kind of externally. And I think that's traditionally what's happened, right? Is we're like, this is a problem in the U.S., so it must be a problem elsewhere versus I see a problem that is international and there's a nuanced and different solution for the way that this problem exists in that space. So I think that's one of them. I think the second of them, I think VC used to traditionally be investment bankers or people that were tech executives and things of that nature. I think right now, uh, kind of young operators are a lot more empowered to build their own funds, right? So people that really either have come from a world of startups and have been in multiple startups and have seen kind of the same thing happen time and time again in, in maybe different ways. Um, but they do have the muscle of saying, okay, I understand the problems that are felt in X, Y, and Z when building a business. And so they're coming with a perspective of, okay, instead of giving you a, a, a very generic playbook and being like this, it's how it's done. They, they appreciate more the nuances of the way um, the way problems you know play out and the solutions that they proffer. And I think lastly, it's also you're seeing a lot of money that is being raised for like maybe minority founders or people from different backgrounds and giving opportunities to those that maybe traditionally, you know, a few years back didn't. I think um, traditional VC was very much, you know, you go to a good school, you came out of the right jobs. That's that's kind of a, a, a green flag for us in terms of investing. Um, but now you're seeing new founders come up in the scene and they're, they're bringing a completely different perspective, which allows for new markets to exist. I always tell people around um, like African-American hair products is like a huge thing. It's a massive market, but no one was creating it before. So everyone just assumed it, there was no market for it. And I think that when you bring different perspectives around that there are there's a world of opportunity that opens up which is really exciting yeah definitely um on that note talking about uh, diversity i spoke to a uh an angel investor i think it was from boston uh, a few weeks ago and and he mentioned mentioned that if you are a female minority you're like female female immigrant most investors won't even look at you. So uh, so you, you, you should just write it off and, and only go after the ones that are investing in female immigrants. And I 
just didn't want to agree to that. I just don't know if that is true. Like, I don't wake up in the morning and think, oh, I'm a female immigrant. I must look at, like, I just don't, I, I just completely ignore it. You know, like, I, I don't think, I don't wake up in the morning thinking I'm female and I'm immigrant. I just, I just wake up in the morning and think, okay, I can create a lot of value. You know, I'm, I'm really good at networking. You know, I'm, 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 that's why I'm building a networking platform because I think if anybody can do it, you know, I can do it. And, um, you know, if I show you a picture of where I was born, you would never believe where I am now. I'm confident that I can make being female immigrant work for me. I can make it my strength rather than a weakness. I don't see it as a weakness. So I don't know. I mean, are, are there really still people out there that that would think that way, that, that would say, oh, female immigrant, oh, no, no, write it off? Yeah, I think with anything, we limit ourselves based off of our own assumptions, right? And ultimately, in, in, in the world, there's anything. Anything and everything exists in this world. And so I'm sure that there may be a handful of people in the industry that feel that way. Um, but I think that ultimately, when you think about VC, it's very much a, does this company have the right team? Is it the right idea? And is there an opportunity? I think a lot of the, and I'm sure that there's people with underlying biases. I'm not going to, you know, make a statement that that does not exist. But I think taking power in your own narrative, and as you mentioned before, like what you've done in in your career, I'm sure has been incredibly exceptional. And I'm someone who truly believes that a lot of us have that, right? There's, yes, there's of course going to be barriers in any type of journey, but the ability to, again, go over, go around, dig under, like bore through the wall, like any any way that you can get past that um, with hard work, with network, with with anything, we, we all have platforms, like platforms are so accessible to us now. Everyone has the opportunity to have a voice. And I think that that's something that's different than maybe say like 20 years ago, 10 years ago even. Um, and I think if people resonate with that platform and with that story, everyone wants to support, you know, the, the, the heroes or the journeys that they really align with. And for you, you know, if you say immigrant woman as any immigrant woman and you, you have a platform, you're speaking, like you have people supporting you, like you have people looking out for you, your story resonates in a very strong way. And the people that don't resonate with it, they're just not people that you likely want on your cap table. You want people that appreciate your, your nuances and, and your background and, and what you have, what you stand for. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. So when I was looking at your, uh, uh, your LinkedIn, you mentioned uh, something about curiosity. Curiosity is not something that I usually hear people talk about. And whenever I said to people, curiosity is one of my values, people are like, what do you mean by that? And what I mean by it is that sense of, um, you know, like really being curious about why things happen the way that they do and questioning them. And, uh, and that's the thing that makes you you know, drill through the wall and go under and, you know, and go around it, right? If, if it wasn't for that curiosity, I wouldn't be here today. Uh, and I think it's so super important. Uh, in, in my book, I've written a book about the future of work and AI. And in the book, I talk about this concept of uh, contextual creativity. And it's it's like different from the kind of creativity that you would get from ChatGPT. It's about deeply understanding the context of something. But that, but the, the deeply understanding the context 
it comes from a place of curiosity. It's not something that people tell you. It's something that you ask. So, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on how did that spirit of curiosity get you to where you are today? You know, how did it impact you um, uh, or impact your journey? Um, and, and why do you think it's important like if you were talking to younger people thinking about coming into this space, whether starting a, a, a company, whether uh, getting into fund managing, you know, what is the thing about curiosity that made um, part of your journey and, and was part of your superpower? That was very well asked. Um, that was beautiful. I think I was with an investor actually this morning and I was telling him and just to quickly sidetrack, I have a newsletter called Creador and there's a section at the very bottom that says the ride, it's called the rabbit hole. And for me, I look up everything that anyone ever asks me. If someone says a statement, I'm like, I don't know if that's true. I Google it and then I go into a rabbit hole. And the one this week, I'm not going to go into it, but it's uh, the train, uh, they call it the Pacific train that they're building in El Salvador to basically be another corridor instead of the Panama Canal that connects the Atlantic to Pacific Ocean. But I, I digress. I think ultimately at the end of the day, it's almost a, it's almost a little difficult to be creative in this day and age. I think we have so much information. It becomes so overwhelming. And especially with AI, right? It knows who you are with the recommendation engines. It knows what you like. And so I think people very often stray to what is popular with mass market or they stay kind of in their lane of what they've looked at before. Like my Instagram, I can tell you is dog videos, uh, you know, like climbing, people rock climbing and things of that nature. And that's really the only thing that I see. And if I look at someone else's algorithm, there's a whole world of content that exists. And I often challenge people, you know, when people are like, oh, you know, we read this book or they're on lists or things like that. I think everyone in theory wants the best of the best. And so everyone just runs to the thing that everyone says is the best. And that's scary because that means that you're creating a most hive mind, right? Everyone is reading the same books. You're all reading the same content. You're listening to the same podcasts. It's hard to think outside of the box when you're being told this is the right way to do things and everyone around you is saying the exact same thing. And so I think it's really important to number one, like engage with people that you have never engaged with. I think travel is a privilege, but having an understanding how most of the world or different parts of the world live their lives, everything from their values to to what they do, not going on tour groups, but, you know, just kind of exploring the city and, and seeing like, who are the people that inhabit this country? You know, what do they care about? Um, in New York, even it's such a big city, but sometimes if you hang out with just VCs or just tech people, you're all just talking kind of circularly. So then the question is, okay, what are other worlds that exist in New York? And how do I befriend people that are doing something completely different? And what does their world look like? And I think my desire in my life is to understand or attempt to understand the world as much as I can. And that means asking a lot of questions. That means reading and, and doing like the most random of things. It's consistently pushing myself to understand like what, what else or what if, or um, if I believe this, what is the opposite of what I believe and why do people believe that? And what's what is kind of the way through that? And I think how that funnels into entrepreneurship is, at least for me right now, very rarely do I find an idea that I think is net new. 
and truly very an innovative or different way of thinking through something. And I think that is because there's so much tech news that everyone goes, oh, this seems like a good market. Let me build. But you and like 20 other people think the same thing. It's like if you index on a different problem or think about things in a different way as a VC, that's the first thing that lights up our eyes and the things that gets us excited. And I think that curiosity and that create, yeah, honestly, that curiosity just continues to ask and allows you to peel different layers of the onion versus just peeling one and saying like, this makes sense. I'm just going to build this. It's like, okay, but why, but why? And that's what I like to go down the, but why game is if I say something, I'm like, okay, but where does this come from? Or why is this happening? And then continue to go down. There's a lot more, I think, substance in that and and a lot more, I think, creative answers for, for what that is. Yeah, I love that answer. Um, and you're right about, um, you know, that there's, there's just so much happening. It's really hard to come up with an original idea. And sometimes it, um, it's not necessarily about being original. It's about taking what is already there and making an improvement, even a small improvement, but that small improvement could make a big difference. And, and that could be your advantage, you know? So for example, what I just said about, um, okay, so we've already got this platform. So we are going to bring in uh, these uh, founders and VCs. Okay, that's not, uh, that part has been done before. Uh, but but of course, then there is the fact that once we build these, um, these marketplaces between um, this group, then we are going to take that group and, and then bring in another, you know, this is, this is the, the way that we are going to basically uh, expand these marketplaces. So take our startups and then go to Fortune 500 companies and bring them in to kind of like the same thing that we do with, with VCs, put them in front of those companies. So let's say if you're an AI company and you want to get in front of Fortune 500 companies, what if we put you in front of them and and you know you you essentially you you become um uh, uh, let's say if you are somebody who works in a fortune 500 company and and wants to buy a specific ai solution what if you had the opportunity to just like a shark tank thing you know go in and listen to the pitches from five different startups that all came out of our platform and then choose the one that works for you it's like there are so many different ways that you can create value because all of these startups the, the, their biggest problem is getting sales their biggest problem is is you know getting in front of the right kind of audience so so you can take that concept of the shark tank and then apply apply it to other b2b areas other other ways that you know if you are good at creating networks then you can use the same idea and and apply it to to different markets. Um, and at the same time, um, you know, then then small improvements, like what I said about how we would take half of that money and put it back into that company. You know, these are like the, the small touches, the, the different things. The way I think about it is that technology is so commoditized that um, really we are all competing at the experience layer right now. You know, in, in, in most cases, we are uh, competing at, at the experience layer. And when it comes to the experience layer, that's where having empathy and having the ability to execute uh, faster, better, cheaper, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that, that um, makes you succeed. And I think it's easier said than done. So when, when you look at the companies that you are investing in or the companies that you're, you're looking at in general, are there, maybe you don't even need to mention names, but are there things that really stand out for you as examples of how uh, a founder has taken this concept of 
curiosity and applied it and and uh, been able to um, do something a little bit better than others. But, uh, you know, that's become their edge. Yeah, I think one of the first companies that came up when you mentioned that is a company that was founded by a founder who really loved the problem space that he was working in, which is product, was a product designer, was very active online, had like a deep community and just lived, breathed product. And so understood all the nuances, heard what his community had to say and built a company that helped automate and made it a lot easier to des for designers to design. And I think that part of cure and going back to kind of the point of curiosity is if you're really curious about a space where you're really curious about a theme, being able to continue asking yourself like, okay, this, this space exists, but what can it be? And I think that's what normally differentiates operators from, and, and, and operators too though, but I think what founders do is they see something and instead of seeing the thing that's in front of them, they're only envisioning what would make it better. And I think there's some founders in our portfolio that are really passionate and can see the future very clearly and not just, and this is personally what I love to look for in founders is it's easy to build. And I think I mentioned this during my talk, it's easy to build for the next two to three years. It's harder to build for the next seven to 10. And when I talk about a founder that says, okay, our short-term roadmap is this, and this is what the first iteration of the product is going to look like, but this fits in a world where a much larger world in 10 years, I think that shows kind of clarity of goal in mind. And I think, <clears throat> you know, I'm sure he comes up and talks often, but Jeff Bezos, that's, that's what he had, right? He believes that there was a world where everything was going to be delivered. And he always had a very clear vision for what the, the company was eventually going to become too. And I think having that clarity of vision in the way that he operated and the reason why Amazon kind of survived and a lot of these companies died is he never, he never compromised like short or instead of going for like short-term gains, he would always focus on like the much bigger picture, um, so I think that allowed for him and his team to be really product focused, um, but also just really passionate around how do we make this future happen? I think, and, and this is a really interesting, and it might be a hot take, um, <laughs> might be a hot take, but in terms of like futurists, traditionally, when you think about cities and, and the future and the Jetsons, right, they were largely written by people of a very similar demographic. And that's what we've been given is that this is the future. But the reality is like any of us can define what the future is going to look like. It's not building for a world that we believe is going to happen. It's building for a world that you want to see happen. Um, yeah, that's so true. That's so true. And, and um, when you think of social media, you know, like when I think about fundamentally, what is the problem that I'm trying to solve is when it comes to B2B, you know, people uh, trying to do business together. There is a style of doing business that is sort of going around the bush, you know, not, not having that direct, you know, like if you think about LinkedIn, it's designed in a way that you have to do all sorts of acrobatics, you know, to, to maybe get in front of somebody in, indirectly. Whereas I want to build 
the next iteration of social social media for B2B that makes it really, really easy for people to connect. Um, but 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 they they do all of the the preliminary kind of like, you know, like for example, I get I'm a filmmaker and I get 10 uh, messages a day people asking me if if they can do videos for my company and I'm like dude did you even look at my my um you know my profile but 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 this is where we can use AI this is where you can use these new technologies this is where we can design social media in a way that like that if you're sending that message to the person that the first of all, you don't even need to do that. All of that should be done automatically. You should be able to just say, I'm looking for connecting with people who want video made for their product or whatever. You know, and 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 that platform should should not even give you the option of connecting to me because I am a filmmaker. You see what I mean? Like so this is this is like like but that idea of the way that these these platforms are are built. Um, and the way all of our sales and marketing, it's really very much, yeah, the, a, a certain demographics that you mentioned, you know, like it, it is it is really designed for predominantly a white male um, Western, uh, you know, uh, culture. And, and that's not how necessarily business is supposed to be done for eternity, right? So, so that's why I think it's, it's important that we think outside of the box and solve these problems because I am tired of getting so much spam. I'm sure you are, you know, and, and, and uh, it, wouldn't it be nice if it was so easy to find who you wanted and, and, you know, there was no spam and, and uh, our AI assistants knew exactly what, uh, you know, what we needed and, and actually get, get us in front of, you know, the kind of people that had the solutions that we had, you know? So, so I really think that there's room to uh, to do something like that. Okay, so we are coming towards the end of our time. Um, let's talk a little bit about this idea of VCs as rock stars. I can see that uh, more and more VCs are, um, you know, becoming rock stars a little bit. You know, it's become it's become quite an attractive thing to do, and, and I think it's with the rise of things like all in. You know, we saw that uh, more and more people are getting into it. But how's your assessment of how women are arising in this in this space because I, I can see a lot more female VCs nowadays so so tell me a little bit about what you you're envisioning um, for the coming years in terms of women um, uh, and and also other um, uh, you know other groups yeah I was telling them the other day, I think it's a very exciting time to be a woman. I think everything is a little bit rebalancing and I hope that there's always equity. I think, you know, there, there's always, it's always important to have equity in mind um, for, for, for both, you know, for both genders. And I think right now, and then kind of going to my previous point, I think women do have a different perspective, not only on maybe the companies that they may be interested in, um, or the way that they're thinking through problems, or the founders that they look at. Um, but I think more than anything, women run their process differently, right? I think um, maybe there's different things that we're evaluating that may have been gaps for the traditional or the previous kind of bulk of VCs. And with anything, I think that's going to bring up a lot of really exciting opportunities for different types of founders to also have an opportunity to be invested in. I think 
there, there's so many female VCs, honestly, that I respect so much. Um, we, I work with a few, but just like to name a few, I think, um, Nicole Wishoff from Wishoff Ventures. I think she's very vocal on kind of TikTok and social and really aims to kind of educate both VCs and entrepreneurs in the space. Um, you have Rachel Tenbring from Red Bike Capital. She's, you know, someone that I truly admire, respect, and does a lot to give back to kind of the underrepresented female Latino community and is one of the very few female, um, you know, emerging fund managers out there. And I think what's exciting is a lot of these women are going above and beyond, not just starting a fund and and kind of investing in these companies, but they're creating, you know, information and content that's sharing out to maybe people that wouldn't have readily like or readily have access to that before. I think kind of the inside of venture sometimes is gated, you know, the way that we think about things, you know, how we make up or what our LP makeup looks like, um, how we think about valuations and what I'm excited about with this kind of new rockstar VC is I think there's a lot more education coming out around as a VC, this is how I think through the numbers or how I think through the opportunities or these are the things that I look at the market. And I think that kind of helps at least entrepreneurs kind of inform like who are the VCs that I want to align myself with and, and which ones do I not? And I think because going back to your previous question, I think because these people lead with values at the forefront, it's a lot easier to see what they stand for, how they help their founders, um, and the ideas that they're looking for. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jay. Is there any um, final points? Obviously, tell people where to find you, but also any kind of um, words of wisdom, and you know, what's on your mind right now? Uh, what, what is like on a day-to-day -day basis? What is the thing that you think, oh, every founder should really know this? Yeah. Um, a few things there. So you can find me on the MXV Capital website, mxv.vc, email jjay at mxv.vc. Twitter is J Stephanie E. So it's J-A-Y-E-S-T-E-F-A-N-I. Um, the things that I, well, I guess one of the, the tips for founders is just I was going to say always stay curious, but I, I think it's important that um, whenever you you think about something, um, like <laughs> this sounds silly, but like look it up and always look for the opposing opinion. I think once you start understanding the why and getting to the why, you can understand the world a lot better. Um, I think there's a lot of things that make overarching assumptions about um, people or or companies or the way things should be done. And I think the best way to approach things is, okay, why shouldn't it be done that way? Um, and I think there's a lot of lessons learned um, and a, a very, a, a way to kind of widen your perspective and thinking through the world in that um, manner. And yeah, I, I think the biggest thing that I can tell founders, honestly, is, and, and so maybe this is kind of how you've you've kind of made this platform for yourself is just everyone can, can be, you know, can really open the door for you. And so just be aware, like give people the respect and the attention that they deserve, um, really listen to people. And, and there's opportunity literally at every corner. And as long as you seize it, like it will be there for you. Um, so 
eyes wide open, ears wide open, sometimes mouth shut and, and ask why shouldn't things be done this way? <laughs> that was really, really good. Thank you so much. That was a fantastic <laughs> conversation. Appreciate the time. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jay Stephanie Castillo. Please be sure to subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your audio podcast so that you don't miss the future episodes. It will mean the world to me if you leave a review and share the podcast with others who you think may enjoy it. Thank you.